0: We've been talking about humanitarian service over the last several weeks, and we've been talking about how to move from talking about changing the world, supporting the idea of changing the world, to actually making a difference globally. And what does that look like? And we've kind of moved from the theoretical and the idea to the practical. Well, today we're going to get extremely practical. We're going to start talking about some things that we as a church, and hopefully you guys as individuals, will become involved with. Jesus tells a story that I told a couple weeks ago about the end of time and a separation of people. And he has in one group the people who changed the world and in one group the people who didn't. And in the one group, the people who enter into his rest is how he puts it. They're the people who visited those that were in prison, who clothed the people who were naked, who gave food to the people that were hungry. And he closes that whole conversation saying this. He says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. It is an act of worship to want to change the world. It's not just a fad. It's not just a Facebook meme. It's when you understand that God loves people, and you let him invade your life, and your love for people becomes so passionate that you want to make a real difference in the world. And so we we as a church, we, we talked about finances last week and how if you're going to change the world, there's really two things you have to offer. One is your finances, and the other is your time and energy, and that's really what you've got to work with. And so we talked about finances and changing the way you view money and how every dollar counts and every dollar matters. And so as a church, we've made the commitment that 10% of every penny that comes in from our offerings and tithes will immediately at the beginning of every month go out the door to missions or to humanitarian service organizations. And I crunched the numbers. We've been been a church for about eight months now, and I crunched the numbers this week. So 10% is our minimum. This is what we've actually given away. It's about 15.7%. And so on top of our normal giving, we've given that away. And we're going to continue to do that. I'm going to pick up this handheld, Booker, and uh, can you maybe replace this dude for me? Do you have one around that you can get up to me? Can you fire up the handheld for me? And so um, we're giving away 15.7% right now. I talk loud, you will hear me. Hey, there we go. 15.7%. So what we've done is we've done our monthly contributions of that 10%, but then we've had several things come along that we wanted to give to, and so we did. Um, we we gave $500 to an orphanage in Alabama that needed to buy a van. They have a fleet of vans that have gone really bad and really dangerous. And so we helped them out. We gave $1,000 to a ministry called Shared Hope that works in human trafficking. Uh, And so just here and there, we've been giving away extra money. And we're going to continue to do that. But today, we're going to talk about practical ways you can give your time and energy, and it'll actually result in money for some people. And this is pretty neat. If you would get your phone out, and go to Facebook. You're encouraged to look at Facebook during my sermons in this church. And, uh, and I'll be with you in just a moment. Talk amongst yourselves. You got that? This is awkward. This is very strange. What's rattling? Two. Two. If you will go to Facebook right now and hit the check in button, you may not be used to checking in, but if you'll hit check in and you'll check in at Daylight Church, the address is there. This is something else. Uh, if the address is there. And you will hashtag Shoes for Kids, we've with an organization called Reach. And uh, check, one, two. We are partnering with an organization called Reach. And what they do is they find humanitarian services, humanitarian charities, and they partner with them so that when we check in on Facebook, they give X amount to these different charities. And so this month, for every 10 people that check into Daylight Church, they will supply a new pair of shoes to kids in developing countries. And, so all, and we've got them hooked up with our software, so all they do is keep tabs on the number of check-ins. And we, bon- we benefit from it because Facebook check-ins are marketing, so people hear about the church. So if you would check-in, put something like every 10 check-ins at Daylight Church supplies shoes for kids in need. And then use the hashtag ShoesForKids, and it literally turns into money that turns into shoes that end up on the feet of people who need shoes. And every month, we're going to present a different charitable organization that our Facebook check-ins will support. And so please try to make sure you do that every week, and it does make a legitimate difference. I am thrilled this week to have Gabriel Kwai with me. Um, Gabriel has been a friend for about nine or 10 years now. He was one of the Lost Boys of Sudan. You may have heard about them, but we're going to show a quick video clip that'll kind of give you a feel for where Gabe has come from. And then afterwards, he and I are going to talk for a bit.
1: I'm doing. Come 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 I try hard. 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 I try I
2: Torque, torque,
1: get, don't get,
3: don't get, torque,
1: not get, don't get,
4: I'm you
5: going
4: know, yeah. show you yeah,
1: do i
0: woke a bit. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you, my Thank friend. Thank you. Um, so you watch this. Is this, I mean, does this ring real and true to you? Is this what, it, what life
1: was like? Yes, that, that was exactly what I actually went through with the rest of the Lost Boys. There is 36,000 of them. How many was that? 36,000.
0: Wow. Wow. And so uh, you, you told me this week, we had lunch together this week, and we kind of talked about his story again, just to refresh my memory. Um, you, you said it was in the 80s and militant groups started kind of invading villages and moving south. And What, what were they hoping to accomplish?
1: Well, uh, that by then, you know, South Sudan had like a, a, a civil war between the north, which were actually Muslim, and South Sudan, you know. In South Sudan, majority of the people were Christian and traditional believers, which is African traditional believers. The leader of the rebel by that time come from our village, which is, which is actually the village of Bor, and that was the village that was targeted because the rebel, majority of them come from that village. So they think that if they destroy everything there, then they will stop you know, the, 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 the revolution that was going on within South Sudan.
0: And is it, is it accurate that a lot of a lot of kids lost their parents what what ended up happening with your parents
1: Well uh, by that time my by that time in 1983 my dad was actually arrested by the government and then in 1986 he was killed in jail and we heard about the news so that's when we moved from town to the village and we started living there so you know I was there with my you know mothers talking of mothers we have a poly- polygamy marriage my dad had like eight wives. We were a big family. We were like 19 children. So when the village was attacked, you know, I was separated from my mother because you can actually see from that video clip that the boys were actually out there taking care of, you know, cattle. So we were that way we were separated and I started living by myself when I was 7 years old. That's when it, I was Is separated. this the kind of environment it was? Yes, that was exactly the environment
0: it was. Like wasteland, wilderness, wastelands type stuff. Right. Okay. And so what, what
1: happened next? Where, where did you guys go? Well, when that happens, you know, I remember myself when I was actually looking at this video, you know, trying to, you know, to look out for my parents. And I thought that I was going to find them. You know, I could not. So I, you know, whole night I spent the night crying and yelling out for my, you know, brothers and my mother. And I could not find them. The only people I was calmed down by, the people that were adults among us, that I was going to find them next day, and next morning I could not find them, so we were actually start walking on foot. And when you talk, so, you know, about the organization that were actually giving out shoe, you, you know, to the third world, so that touched my heart, because when I was actually walking from South Sudan to Ethiopia, which was a distance of 500 miles, you know, I was walking on the bare, you know, foot. So you know, things like thorns, and you know, my foot, you know, was hurting all the time. I wish I had, like, a pair of shoes back then. That would have make, ma- made my life a lot better.
0: So you and a, and a large group of people walked from that area to Ethiopia, is what you're saying? Yes. And it was 500 miles. It was
1: 500 miles. It took us 21 days to arrive to Ethiopia. And what did you eat? Uh, on our way, you know, I, we could eat anything that we could find. You know, a lot of children die from hunger and thirst. But, you know, anything that we would find, dirty water... You know, wild fruit, dead animal, anything that we would actually find—that's what we were actually eat, eating. And we lost a lot of you know children on our way. At night, we were attacked by wild wild animals like leopard, car, I mean, and lions. They kills a lot of children. So, you know, it's, it was anything that we could find on our way that we were actually eating.
0: So you mentioned at lunch this week that you traveled you traveled at night. Why was that?
1: The reason why we travel at night, you know, uh, we actually, you know, travel at night so that, you know, the darkness actually hit us because we could, you could see the government was sending, like, planes, you know, during the day to look out for us and when they find us, they were actually bombing us. So at night, you know, that was the opportunity that we used to travel and, you know, we walk all night at 6 a.m., you know, we actually break and sleep under bushes and trees. So that you know we hide, we hide ourselves from the government planes.
0: What did you do during bad weather?
1: Well, uh, luckily there was no, you know, bad weather like it is sometime here in the United States. You know, ours is a tropical weather, mm-hmm. you know, whereby, you know, it's either hot or rainy. Okay. So this time, you know, the rain was a wonderful thing for us, you know, because it's fresh water? We could, yeah, we could actually drink from that fresh water from rains.
0: Seems like you've told me in the past that sometimes you, you, all you had to eat was tree leaves?
1: Yes, those tree leaves and wild fruits, those, those were the things that we were actually eating.
0: And So you get to Ethiopia and what happens next?
1: When we were in Ethiopia, we were settled in a refugee camp called Penyendo. And that, this is where I actually you know, it started my education. We were actually grouped into 1,200 you know, children in one group and they had like two adults supervising us. So they started, you know, us, you know to teach us ABCD and, you know, boy, girl, things like that. And when we were in that camp, life was, you know, also terrible. There were no food, you know, in the beginning. And the first people that came to our rescue, you know, congressmen were sent, you know, from the United States to visit us in the camp. And that is where you know I learned, like the first word, welcome, welcome, American congressman. <laughs> we were taught, you know, to welcome them that way. So we welcomed them, and they, they were in tears when they saw the situation that we were in. You know, you could imagine yourself when we in, were in that camp. A lot of children were dying, and at age eight or seven, you know, barring, you know, a child—that was one of the most difficult things. So these, you know, Americans, you know, told us that. Uh, in a month, you know, that we will actually get like a relief from the humanitarian organization and that actually happened. So our life changed, you know, dramatically. We, you know, we start to live like a normal life. We forgot about everything. Of course we were kids. So we lived there for four years and then in 1991 they told us that, you know, the government of Sudan, you know, were actually working with the rebels from Ethiopia. So the government of Ethiopia was overthrown and the rebels took over and they told us that we ha- we either leave, come back to South Sudan or they will surrender us to the government of Sudan which we did not actually want to do because knowing that you know when we, we were surrendered we were going to be forced to become Muslim you know and recruited into the armed forces and then fight in South Sudan so we decided to move back to South Sudan on our way on the river called Gilo we were attacked you know by the rebels from Ethiopia and the government troops and in that, that day we lost like 5000 you know young men and adults in that river it, they were either shot to death or jumped into the river to die you know drawn to you know to their death so i was fortunate and lucky you know to cross the river onto to the other side so and we walked you know to a town within south sudan at the border called pachala and we start our journey again from that town uh, to kenya where we were settled in 1992.
0: How how old were you at the after the four years in Ethiopia?
1: I was 11 years old.
0: Okay, so you're about seven when the whole thing went down. Right. I know I know we had some technical difficulties at at, at first. It, has it was everybody in the back able to hear kind of our initial conversation or not? Katie, yes. Okay, good. So I don't have to catch anybody up. Um, so you're 11. You've just crossed this river. W- where's your mom at this point?
1: I didn't know where she was. I didn't know if she were, if she was alive or dead. Mm-hmm. I did not know.
0: And your brothers and sisters, did you have any contact with no, any of them? I did not.
1: I okay. did not.
0: So you, you come back into Sudan, where you know it's a dangerous situation. Right. And now you have to trek how many more miles?
1: We tracked like, another 500 miles. So the total distance. With no
0: shoes? Did you have shoes at this point?
1: No, I did Still not. Still no shoes? No shoes.
0: Still eating f- from the wilderness?
1: Well, at this time it was better because uh, the Red Cross, you know, were actually following us. So they would actually, you know, bring, like, food and, you know and some other humanitarian services, but still, we were drinking dirty water,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. How, how many how many Lost Boys were trekking at this point?
1: At this point, you know, they were down to 27,000,
0: okay. yes. And so you crossed from Sudan into Kenya?
1: Yes, we crossed from After Sudan. how long?
0: How long does that trek take?
1: Well, uh, it took us, like, uh, I remember we left Ethiopia in August, and we were actually moving on a slow, you know, motions. We, we move and then we settle for like three months and then we move. So it took us until 1992. May of 1992 is when we arrived to Kenya.
0: Okay. And what happens in Kenya?
1: When the refugee camp in Kenya, this is where things, you know, I started actually, we started to go to school and I did, you know, class one through grade 12 in Kenya. You know, under a very difficult circumstances because it was a refugee camp. And when you know the refugee, like in the third world countries, it's, uh, the li- life is very difficult. You know there is no enough food. You know sometimes we would actually live like you know one meal a day, or you can eat you know once every other day. That's the life that we were actually going through. And if I look back at my pictures when I arrived to the United States, sometimes I just laugh at myself because I was so skinny. You know not because you know. I was that way but it was because, you know, of lack of you know, good food that we were eating. So we lived there from nineteen ninety two until nineteen ninety-nine, it's when one of the donors from United States came, you know, and have interest in talking to the lost boys of South Sudan. So he sat down with a group of people in which, you know, I was one of them and he had a discussion with us, you know, what does the future hold, you know, for all of us. And we told them that we, you know, we wanted to go to school. Most of us by that time have finished high school education. So we were stressing to him that we want to go to college if we can get like a scholarship. And he said that the best way to help you guys it's actually you know, to go back to United States and lobby you know, for United States government to give you opportunity for a settlement. So we say yes, that would be great. So he came back and lobbied, and then it was approved by the Congress that 4,500 would be allowed to come to the United States. So the process started in, 19, in 1999. And then in 2001, I arrived to Louisville, Kentucky. March the 13th is when I arrived at Louisville International Airport.
0: So how was, I mean, how was that different? It seems like you've mentioned before that the first time you ever slept in a bed.
1: Well, the first time, yes. I slept like in a nice hotel. And a, a good bed was you know, in New York. You know, that was after we had like a 16 hours flight from Nairobi, Kenya Mm -hmm. to New York. It's it's the first time I actually slept like in a night hotel and I was with a friend of mine and he was like, you know, this boy told me that, you know, thank God, I was like, why? He said that, you know, I just felt like I'm a king tonight. I was like, okay, then things are getting better for us. And we had like a nice you know, meal that was like, you know, whole chicken, like whole two chicken for all of us.
0: I watched Gabe put some chicken <laughs> down this week. He does a good job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, we had like... You got a, you got a replacement? A I don't know. So, so, you know, we had like, you know, a wonderful sleep, you know. We had a wonderful night. So that was in New York when I had like a good sleep. And I always, you know, one of my code when I say, anybody knows where American apartment is, then raise your hand. All right, you do? Yes, we, that was the first place that I lived. And I thought, you know, back then, that place was like a palace of king, which is not at this time.
0: <laughs>
1: so, yeah. So you, you went to community college here, then you went to Murray State
0: for a while. Yeah. So that, mean, that means you're an awesome individual, right? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you graduated from there with a degree In, in finance. And came over here and got, you, had, you worked several jobs I, and then worked at a bank for a while. Right, right.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I work as Internet Banking Administrative Assistant for Republic Bank for five years. And right now I work for Kroger Assistant Manager. Thanks. And so you
0: have started a non-profit called Weep. What does Weep stand for and what does
1: it do? is stands for you know, Women Educational Empowerment Project for South Sudan. And what we actually do, it's, uh, I, we believe in education. I believe in education strongly. And I believe that mothers you know, are the first you know, people that children actually learn from them. And my wife is not here today. She should, uh, I wish she should have come, but she woke overnight last night from 10 to 6 a.m. So sh- she's sleeping right now. Slacker. Yeah. <laughs> 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 she's sleeping right now. So... You know, the way I look at my wife, she always work, you know, do, like, homework for my children. So, we believe that if, you know, these young women are educated in South Sudan, then that is going to have, like, a greater impact on these children because they would be able to help, you know, educate their children and that education could actually modify, you know, rapidly. And through education, then we would be able to help to stop all the problems that are going on in South Sudan and worldwide. So that is you know our belief. So in 19 you know in 2007 saying of sorry 2007 we went to a refugee camp. The very same refugee camp that I live in for 9 years. We went there and picked like uh, about 10 girls which we actually helped you know to send to school to high school in Kenya. You know they did like a good job. Most of them graduated you know with with the highest performance and five of them are now in Canada in Canada going you know you know that they are following their high you know uh, education there at the universities one of them in fact is actually she wanted to be an an accountant and one of them is doing science you know the rest of them are doing sexual studies so through wips you know what we do is to help you know take like young girls and send them through high school so that they can become like a better people you know for for the world, and those girls that we have that are in Canada right now, they are going to be great, you know, international, you know, people. So that is what we do, and uh, we discussed that with uh, HL, you know, last week. And I thought that, you know, our, you know, we are trying to change the cause, you know, to make WIP like an inclusive organization, so that we can take like number of boys and number of girls and and send them you know, to universities, because many of those young men right now in Kenya, they have completed, like, their high school, you know, very good, but they don't have many to go to universities and colleges to get, you know, better education.
0: And you mentioned this week that it, it costs about eight hundred dollars a year for a girl to go through high school. That's, yes, that's accurate. Yes,
1: it costs about eight hundred dollars a year. That
0: includes tuition, uniforms, books, the, the whole works. Taking that's, care of them. That's correct. And so the part of the reason I wanted to present Gabe to you guys today is because ever since our inception in September, we have supported Weep every month, and I think we send twenty five or thirty bucks a month. Um, they get we we give away ten percent, and then all the missionaries and service organizations get a get a sliver of that. And so. If if extra money comes in each month then extra money goes out, but I think it would probably average about thirty dollars a month, and so in a, in a year we've given about we will give about three hundred sixty four hundred dollars to what what Gabe is doing, uh, but today we wanted to present another check to you because we want to try to try to for, cover a full year for one girl. So we have another check for five hundred dollars for you today, and I just want people to see that when you give and we give that it touches real people in real space doing real things and so this is for, for WEEP and we'll, we'll, uh, we've talked about maybe some board membership and some, some vision for the future and we're gonna sit down and and see what we can do to continue to partner with them to make sure these, these boys and girls get an education so that they can go on to get a college education so they can go back to Sudan and initiate change and make, make global change coming out of Sudan and so, Gabe, we love you very much. We're so thrilled to get to partner with you and, and really, really appreciate you coming and being a part with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, how many minutes? We're do done. We're All done, right. man. All right. Thank you. <laughs>
0: so, uh, And Gabe, Gabe will be out front in the hall if you want to meet him. He's a super guy. Take him out, buy him some fried chicken, and I promise he'll say yes. He'll go with <laughs> you. So, Gabe, love you, buddy. Thanks. Thank
1: you. Love you
0: We are also partnering with an organization called water Step here in town. It, it is a, you know, we've been talking about clean water and the need for clean water globally. And we have just a fantastic organization right here in Louisville that is doing that around the world. And so I'm going to show you a quick video from them.
3: Water is the most essential element of life. When it is not safe, it becomes the most dangerous. More people in the world die each year from waterborne illnesses and poor sanitation than do an armed conflict. Today, 748 million people live without access to safe water. That's one out of every 10 people on the planet. The statistics can change, and you can change them. While the problem is huge, the solutions are simple. By training and empowering thousands of people in dozens of developing countries around the world, Waterstead and people like you are ensuring safe water in communities for generations to come. Together, we are building more than a thousand water purification systems. Preparing hundreds of hand pumps, teaching health and supplying safe water to more than a million people. Join us, donate, volunteer, get trained, get involved. You can provide safe water to save lives, one individual, one family, one community.
0: I had lunch with uh, Mark Hogg, the, the director of WaterStep, a couple months ago, and we, we were talking about ways that we can contribute. And one of those is through a shoe drive. And what, they're incredibly creative with how they're coming up with money, the ideas that they have, but they've developed these filtration systems that you can put two or three of them in your carry on bags and take them overseas and distribute them. And now all of a sudden, thousands, tens of thousands of people have access to clean drinking water. It's just, they're really brilliant, great engineers doing a good work. They've designed one of the big problems with water is the distance. So you might have clean water, but it's 25 miles away. And so people have to trek 25 miles, and then they trek back with these ba- ba- uh, baskets of water on their head, or bags of water, and you can only carry so much water. It's heavy stuff. So they might be able to bring back 5, 10 gallons and trek 20 miles just so they can have some clean drinking water for a while. They've developed, they take these big exercise balls, like the kind that you do crunches on, and they've developed a system where you can take these things, and you attach a PVC handles to it, and it rolls like a wheelbarrow, and you can take it, and you can fill it with water, and it turns out to be, I don't know, 30 gallons, 40 gallons, I don't, I don't know the, the numbers, but it's just a massive amount of water for these people, and now they can trek up and down hills, and all they do is push it around, and so even when they don't have access to water, they can go get it now. So they're being very creative. They're thinking things through. And one of the ways they're raising money is through shoe drives. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have a boatload of shoes at home that I never wear anymore. They're worn out. The soles are bad. They, they have the flap at the bottom that drives you nuts. i forgot some of those on today. But all, what we're going to start doing is a shoe collection. We're going to have a box out front every, time Sunday, every Sunday morning, and it'll be a shoe drive, and you can bring some of those old shoes. And what they do is they take them to developing com- countries. People are hired, so they, they give jobs to refurbish these shoes. Then they take them to market, and they sell it and they make a profit, so now third world people have access to cheap quality shoes and some of that profit, the wholesale part of that comes straight back to Water step so that they can build their filters and send people overseas to distribute water. And so it's an incredible organization that we will be partnering with and so what I'm asking from you guys is to go through your closets and really none of them are too beat up. They will, they will do something with these shoes. So look through your bad shoes, the shoes you don't want, the shoes you don't wear or find some nice shoes that you don't wear very often And bring them along, and we'll have a place, and we will get them over to Waterstep. I'm really excited about having uh, Amy Leenert's with us today. Her her and her husband, John, are with us, and, and we had lunch a couple weeks ago. She and her husband have started a nonprofit ministry called Free to Hope. They are local. They're right here in Louisville. And they have made it their life ambition at this point to confront the issue of human trafficking. And they're starting to make steps in that area. And we had some, come on up, Amy. We had some really neat conversations about ways that we can contribute some outreaches that we are going to do as a church. And so I'm just going to let Amy have it. Hopefully, we'll have a working mic for you. There you go. Um, Yeah, sure, absolutely. And uh, she's just going to share with you what Free to Hope is doing and where they're headed for a few minutes. So there you go.
4: Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy Leenerts. My husband John and I are the founders of Free to Hope. Um, Free to Hope, as he said, is a local nonprofit organization. We're fighting human trafficking here in Louisville. Hold up your chin. Oh, okay, to my chin. <laughs> uh, and we're doing that by equipping the general public. This is something that nobody else is doing right now. It's strictly uh, something that is generally done through social services or through the Police department but we feel like there are so many people that if they knew what was going on we could get a whole lot more done so that's what we're doing we're equipping the general public Um, we want people to be able to recognize and respond to a victim of human trafficking now what do I mean by respond that may sound like it's a scary thing it's not if you see something that you think could be trafficking and you make a call on it then you're simply making that response so that's that's what we want to do The first thing you need to understand about human trafficking is it's probably happening in your neighborhood, and if it has not yet, it will be. Most people don't believe that we really have a problem with human trafficking in Louisville, but we really do, and it's happening day in and day out. Our mission at Free to Hope is to raise awareness, to expose the injustices, and to empower citizens in our community to rise up and stop human trafficking. Uh, Some of our programs include, we have an education program, which we do education programs, again, for the general public, for church groups, for social groups, just about anybody that'll listen for another 15 or 20 minutes about trafficking. We also do it for professional groups, for police departments, hospitals, those kind of groups. We also have an outreach program that's up and running, which is what I want to talk to you all about today. Basically, what we like to do is to go into an area, let's just say the Hurstburn Lane area, We want to do a few different outreach programs just to give out information to people and to do a program and then to get the people in that area to go out and take information. So we want to inundate an area with information about human trafficking. Uh, It's our aim through this event that the communities will take the information out to an even broader level. I want to uh, be also have all citizens be on the lookout for trafficking in their community, but I also want to teach you how to make sure that your child is safe, and I think that's very important. Our vision for the future includes victim evacuation, safe houses, treatment programs, and ultimately reintegration back into society. Human trafficking knows no, no economic boundaries. It happens to the rich and to the poor. Human trafficking doesn't care if you live in a good or a bad neighborhood. Human trafficking is no respecter of age, as our youngest victim being investigated in Kentucky right now is not even old enough to start kindergarten. That case really typifies what a victim's life starts out like. She's vulnerable because of her age. She's five. She's unprotected. She has no one that's watching out for her, no one that is making sure that she's safe. She's brutalized physically. I won't even go there. The physical scars fade, but the mental scars usually do not. Uh, And She never learns how to live a normal life. 90% of prostitutes and trafficking victims have had a prior history of sexual abuse in their childhood. They are essentially pre-programmed throughout their life to be victimized. These women have been sexually abused their whole life and have been unprotected and are now just being used as a commodity for others to make money. The young woman walking down the street selling herself that we judge and say, how can she do that? She was raped by her grandpa at five years old. The addict that we call a worthless junkie, her new boyfriend got her hooked on heroin and now she sells her body to get more. The rebellious teenager who is a runaway, she needed shelter and food and the trafficker was right there waiting on her. Trafficking can look like a lot of different things and all those stories are real but we won't recognize it unless we learn the signs for it. We have the opportunity to give someone their life back. I think that's what Jesus has called us to do. Ezekiel 34:16. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured and strengthen the wheat, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Human trafficking is happening everywhere, including just one mile from where we stand right now. And that's why I'm really here today. We want to attack trafficking in this area that's happening, but we need your help. We need people that will come with us to go out and do an outreach from this area. Uh, The war war on vulnerable women and children here in Louisville will not end unless good people, and especially the church, rise up and say no more.
0: So, Amy, tell us a little bit about the outreach. If we if we partner with you and do an outreach, what's that going to look like, just real briefly?
4: What that looks like is we do a presentation that uh, tells you what trafficking looks like. We give you uh, some information on it, and then we get a group of people on a Saturday morning for three hours, and we go out to businesses and put up information we have and talk to as many people as we can.
0: So I'm assuming if, around here it'll be the businesses we see that your network of spies has yes. revealed yes. to us.
4: Yeah, um, this is one of the largest populations we have of um, trafficking activities happening in Louisville right now, and it's right here in the east end, which is not what people expect.
0: So those that don't know, we're about right here. And right up here is the intersection of I-64 and Hurstborn. And so what are we looking at here? What, what goes on there that has flagged this area?
4: Uh, there are, <clears throat> are investigations going on all the time, but they're also, um, from the telephone numbers, from certain ads that are posted, we can tell where these activities are happening, and it's in hotels over in that area. And so my There's, understanding
0: is that team would go into businesses mm-hmm. and talk to business owners or managers yep. and find out about placing logos or right. plaques of some sort in, in windows, and that would give people a hotline to call. Right, okay. and right. That's, that's kind of the initial steps to start stirring, is. stirring the pot in those areas. It is, it is.
4: You know, we get more people involved, more people know what's going on, more people around the lookout for something, more people calling the number, more people calling the police. Mm-hmm. Something's going to start happening.
0: And I, I asked you at lunch a couple weeks ago, and I loved your answer. If, if somebody gave you half a million bucks today and said, "Go do what you want to do with it," as far as this is concerned, and you talked about maybe a ranch or a farm, oh, or yeah. something, that's tell us the about ultimate. That. That's, that's, that's the big dream,
4: right? That's the big dream. That's uh, what I felt like God had told me years ago, when before I started this, that that was the ultimate. That was I wanted a place where a young woman could to could go and learn to live a normal life again. And that's what I just had a vision for, you know, a beautiful ranch with horses and, um, you know, just peace, just absolute peace. So she could learn to live her life over again.
0: And we're gonna pray real quick and and we're gonna talk further about financial partnership and kind of where we go from here and doing outreaches. Mm -hmm. And we're we're gonna establish a team here to talk about those things in just just a few minutes. Um, But let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for John and Amy and ask that you would inspire them and give them like we prayed earlier, just a vision that is too large for them. And then you would bring alongside uh, people that can help, people that can fund the ministry, people who can serve, and people who are passionate and willing to live dangerously. And just ask in the name of Jesus that even right now you would begin to prepare that path for them and make that path clear and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amy, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Amy will also be out in the hall later. If, and any of these people that we're talking about today, any of these ministries, um, if, if, if something stirs up in you and you think, man, I want to be a part of that. I really want to get involved. These are the people to talk to. We're not afraid of sending you guys out and, and letting you go. We're, we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel at daylight and try to create our own human trafficking mission. Uh, we're not going to try to create our own southern Sudan mission. These are the experts. These are the people already doing it, and we're going to invest and lean on them and assist them so don't don't have any hesitation to go out talk to them and see how you can get involved but we will also be doing an organized effort as a church so it's as you wish but feel free to talk to these guys and meet them um, a few months ago I was driving over at Bardstown in Breckenridge and Cindy if you want to make your way down we're gonna have just two or three minutes to talk for a second um, I guess two or three minutes isn't exactly a second that was an odd colloquialism and at the corner of Barstown and Breckenridge was a gas station that had gone out of business. And it's not this gas station. This is just a comparable gas station. But I, for whatever reason, I was driving past that thing, and I thought, I thought what, what would we do if someone gave us that building? I don't know why that thought crossed my mind. It's, just a, it's even smaller than this place. But I thought, what if we had access to that? And for whatever reason, I, I imagined a big sign out front that says, someone to talk to, and that we could create a ministry where that's it. Someone to talk to for free. And where people can come and just sit down and have a conversation. And I, th- I feel like if you hung a banner like that, you could fill a schedule 24 hours a day for weeks. People want someone to talk to. We wouldn't be trained counselors. We wouldn't, uh, we'd, we'd, there'd be a lot of logistics we'd have to work out. Anyway, I'm thinking about this, and I knew Cindy. Cindy, if you want to come on up. I knew Cindy had worked in situations that gelled with that mentality. And um, she's... She I, I would do you have a degree in counseling? You've, you've worked in counseling??
5: With issues that, that were crisis issues in their lives. They right. were dealing so with have crisis um, care experience. Yes,
0: and some of our conver- for whatever reason, when I imagined that, Cindy popped in my mind. So I called Cindy up as I was driving down Barstown Road, said, "What do you think about this idea?" She said, "I love that idea." And then Siri and Seth came to church and I don't, Siri's not here with us today. But she had heard about this ministry called Stephen Ministries. And Stephen Ministries is crisis care for laypeople. If you're not familiar with the term lay people, it means the guys and gals sitting in the seats at the church. Okay? It's not the trained clergy. Clergy. It's you guys. And so it teaches you guys to do crisis care. We're going to watch a short video on what we're talking about here, and then we may dialogue. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen here. We're okay. just we're winging it. Okay? We'll play it by ear. All right, we'll play it by ear. So here's a short video from another church about their Stephen ministry you guys could
6: fire that video up, please. Stephen Ministry is a place where people can come who are hurting. It could be from a loss of a family member,
5: it could be a loss of a job. It's a caring ministry. It's for people who are going through crisis in their life.
2: As a caregiver in the Stephen Ministry, I walk alongside and show Christ's love to the care receivers.
6: Typically, the care receiver themselves comes up with the answer. But it is process-oriented, not results-oriented. We're not there to fix them.
2: But they need a Christian friend to sound it out and to listen to them in a confidential manner. Typically, we will meet with our care receivers about an hour and a half a week.
6: It's an opportunity for the person to just share whatever they're ready for that day. And if they're not ready, they're not ready. the, The key is to make them feel very comfortable listen to them
2: intently
5: and ask her what are your prayer needs so what should we pray for this week and during my prayer time I pray
2: for her that's the gift that uh, Christ gives us the gift of mercy No one likes to go through pain alone,
6: and it's a good opportunity to lead them to Christ if they're not already, or to strengthen their walk.
2: We are the caregiver, and Christ is in the center as the cure-giver in all the situations.
4: We can help them to be uplifted and be closer to God
5: through this uh, crisis.
2: He's using me and the other Stephen ministers as his ambassadors to show that he does exist and that he does love his children.
6: And it's just very rewarding to to know that you've helped someone walk a very difficult path and to get them to the other side.
0: So after conversations with Siri and Cindy, uh, these gals forked over a, a boatload of money. I'm sorry to put you on the spot and embarrass you in front of everybody. Thousands, thousands of dollars to get us affiliated with Stephen Ministries and to attend their conference and become trainers and leaders in this ministry so cindy's going to be heading this up for us and essentially if you guys are interested what we're going to do do you want to describe the the initial boot camp idea
5: yeah um, i think this is on what we'd like to do initially because we see we perceive that there's a very real need and Stephen ministries actually offers 50 hours of training which is a pretty big time commitment we'd like to start sooner so we're looking at a three to ten hour introductory session in which we will explain and teach basic skills and from that point on we can actually pair people up with somebody for a listening ministry and during that time frame we'll also be working on expanding the training so that whoever wants to would have that 50 hours of training available to them at two different levels maybe 21st if they wanted to continue on to finish they could they could finish an additional 20 hours so what we're
0: talking about initially is a three-hour commitment if you're interested in this Uh, it would be an evening or a Saturday of some sort um, where you would come in and you would learn basic listening skills what they call sacred listening uh, and how to set boundaries with people how to safeguard yourself, maybe a little bit about legalities. But there, these will be skills that every person should have. How to listen. Even if you spent three hours on how to listen, this is a skill every Christian should have, every person should have. And so then, after that three hours, you will be able to make a more educated decision do I want to continue for the next seven hours? It would be two, three and a half hour sessions. And we're calling the ministry Lightline. We don't have any graphics for you at this point. We're really at an inception point. Um, but it's going to, after 10 hours, then you will be a lightliner. and someone comes into the church that has lost a spouse, someone that comes into the church that has lost their job. We're going to be able to say, this is a person you should talk to, and connect you with that person, and you will walk them through a period of grief, or a period of fear, or, or you know, a period of crisis, and so uh, why, why are you excited about this?
5: I'm excited about this because As a person who has walked through a lot of adversity in my own life, I was praying, you know, and I was asking God, what can I say to share my passion for this? And as I was riding up to church and praying about it this morning, God brought to my memory a time in my own life when I was just at the bottom. I had nowhere to turn, no one to talk to, and I can remember sitting down at my computer one night in the middle of the night with my family sleeping, just crying and then typing out on the keyboard, help, is anybody out there that cares? And... You know, when you Google search for somebody that cares, it means that there is a need in your life that needs to be filled. And I want to I help do that for people. I don't want anybody to have to sit down at their computer and cry out to a machine for help when we have a family here and that God's put this family together. And part of our purpose is to strengthen and uphold each other. Yeah,
0: it's wonderful. You're really good with a mic. You should do this more often. not comfortable
5: with a mic. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're talking about doing it within the church and eventually expanding to where we do it without the church, hanging a big banner or a billboard somewhere that says someone to talk to. We have no idea what this thing's going to shape up like, what it's going to look like, how many people will go through the program, but the program is available to you. If you're interested in, in committing to that three hour session, and the times and dates will be determined, times, dates, and locations, there's a sign up sheet on the, on the table outside. It just says Lightline Sign Up, and that's you telling us you may be interested in attending this three hour session. And you'll learn some great skills. And even if after the three hours you decide, well, this just isn't for me. I'm not, I, 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 would like, I would not like to pursue it further. No hurt feelings. So on the way out is a sign-up sheet for Lightline. And I'm going to pray for Cindy. Some of you may or may not know this, but Cindy's husband died suddenly and unexpectedly a year and how many months ago? A yeah, okay. year and a half ago. Uh, tragic situation. They, he had gotten his dream job in Florida. I'm sorry if I okay. you can turn around and face that direction it's if it'll okay. help. Uh, But he had gotten his dream job in Florida. They were packing up to leave and she got a phone call that he had just suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. And so I've I've been able to spend some time with Cindy and get to know her and she's just a tough chick. And she is gutting it through a hard situation and she's turning her life into helping other people going through what she's gone through. So it's not just that she has the chops from her education, she has the chops from life experience. And she's gonna be a person that you're gonna wanna listen to. And so, if for no other reason, come and hear from Cindy and just, you know, learn from a person who's, who's gone through it. Uh, it, it. It'll be a great thing. So, Cindy, we're so thrilled to have you as part of the church. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. And that about sums it up for today. I know we're pretty different here. Um, here's, here's the one other thing we're going to do is we're going to put together a team that we're calling the Daylight Cares Team. Ultimately, we want to turn Daylight Cares into a separate nonprofit entity with its own 501C. Because once you've done that, then you can start doing needs assessments in communities. You can start taking federal grants and that sort of thing to do humanitarian service. This is long-term goals, but the plan is to eventually move in that direction. It could be 10 years from now. It could be three years from now. There's no telling. But what we want to start doing right now is putting together our Daylight Cares team. And this will be a team of people who are dedicated to getting together and brainstorming How do we change the world? What does that literally look like for us to take action? And coming up with ideas, sitting down with Mark Hogg of Waterstep, sitting down with Amy and John Lienertz of Free to Hope and saying, what can we do to help? How can we get involved? And so this team is not going to be a anybody can sign up team. This is going to be a resume based team. And so if you would be interested in sitting on that team, helping us brainstorm, helping us network with local charities and eventually global charities, I would like to ask you to send an email to this address, daylightcares at daylightchurch.com. And give us a paragraph or two of why you would like to be involved and why you feel like you would would make a valuable contribution to the team. Um, We're we're gonna be serious about this and we, we would like to take action every single month on Saturday Outreaches. We'd like to take action consistently by partnering with local charities. And so we're starting a team today and we're gonna see what that turns into. But we're going to do something. We've been talking about taking action. The things we've talked about today, that's how we're starting to take action. The team is how we're going to continue to take action.